Hey there, and welcome to Upside Down and Back to Front. I'm Keegan, and today I want to talk about medically transitioning as a transgender person. I will start with a brief overview of what it means to transition medically, followed by a look at the different facets of a medical transition. These include therapy, medication, and surgery. Stay tuned. Welcome to Upside Down and Back to Front. I'm your host, Keegan Zachariah. I'm a young transgender person from South Africa who is passionate about helping others. On this podcast, I will talk about being transgender, my journey, neurodivergency, as I am autistic, and bring in others to share their experiences. This is a safe space for everyone, so please stick around. Medical transitioning. This is one of the three components of transitioning I mentioned in my previous episode. A quick recap for anyone who didn't catch that one, I broke transitioning down into three broad categories, medical, legal, and social, with the intent to make an episode dedicated to each one. Today, we are focusing on medical. This is a part of a person's transition in which they undergo medical treatment or intervention in order for their body to better match their identity. I want to start this episode by saying that transitioning is an extremely personal journey. There are many ways to transition and it looks different for everybody. Some people do not pursue a medical transition, whereas for others, like myself, it is an absolute necessity. Every person and their journey is different. Whether they decide to take hormones or not, have surgery or not, they're not any less worthy than someone else and their struggles are just as valid. It's important to take into account that there are also many barriers to pursuing medical intervention, and not everybody who needs it actually has access to it. Some of these barriers include no access to knowledgeable healthcare providers, excessive costs, lack of support, or mental or physical health concerns, just to name a few. With that said, let us get into learning about transitioning medically and what that entails. I'm going to start by discussing therapy and finding a good therapist. Next, we will look at medical intervention in the form of medication, namely hormone therapy and hormone blockers. And lastly, we will look at surgery. The first step of your journey will most likely start with finding a supportive therapist. It's important to find one who is both knowledgeable and accepting of transgender people. You have the right to be treated with respect, regardless of where you are on your journey. Your therapist should never make transphobic statements and should have an idea of what to expect and how to help you, or at the very least, be willing to learn. In the beginning, I did not have the best experience with therapy. My first therapist just wasn't knowledgeable enough about how to support me as a transgender person, so the whole experience wasn't very helpful. After a while, though, I changed therapists. I was able to find someone who specialized in gender issues and he helped me get my referrals and start hormones. I know not everyone has access to that many options. They can't necessarily go into a big city to see a specialist. I know I couldn't. You can pick someone local, but do your research. When you identify some therapists in your area, call them or send them an email. It's a good idea to explain a little bit about your struggles and what your goals are. For example, are you looking just for support, help coming out to friends and family, Or are you looking to start a medical transition? If they seem like a good fit, go ahead and schedule a session. I want to mention 
that if at any point you feel unsafe or uncomfortable with your therapists, you are well within your rights to leave. If you try a few sessions, bearing in mind it might take a while to feel more at ease with someone, and you're still not comfortable, just try somebody else. Try as many as you need to feel comfortable. A lot of people go through multiple therapists before finding one that fits. If you are struggling to find a therapist, try contacting your local LGBTQ support group, searching online, or using a forum for recommendations. There are a few Facebook groups specifically for trans people here in South Africa, and they can be a treasure trove of advice. There are also two organizations you can try if you are having a tough time finding someone, Gender Dynamics and Path SA. Path SA stands for Professional Association for Transgender Health South Africa. Both organizations keep a record of affirming healthcare practitioners, which they can supply you if requested. A therapy session is normally 45 minutes to an hour, and privately can run anywhere from 900 to 1800 rand. A therapist will probably want to see you for about six sessions or three months before making a diagnosis. However, there is actually no minimum or maximum period. Therapy can be helpful for figuring out or confirming your gender identity, but you don't actually require a diagnosis, as being transgender is no longer classified as a mental illness. In the past, anyone seeking medical intervention would have to deal with lengthy assessments carried out by psychologists and psychiatrists to diagnose them with gender identity disorder. This is no longer necessary. I think it's a good idea to establish a relationship with a therapist though, because other changes require letters of motivation, such as getting surgery or changing your gender marker. Both of these require a letter from two different professionals, but I'll speak more about this in my next episode. In South Africa, if you are over the age of 18, you do not need a letter from your therapist to start hormone therapy. You can do something called informed consent. Informed consent is the process in which a healthcare provider educates a person about the risks, benefits, and alternatives of a given procedure or intervention. In this case, hormone therapy. The informed consent letter will outline the potential negative impact of pursuing hormone therapy, as well as give a detailed description of the changes, risks, and potential side effects. There will also be a section reminding you of the importance of monitoring your health through checkups. At the end is a declaration and a space for both you and your healthcare practitioner to sign. If you are under the age of 18, or if you have pre-existing mental health conditions, your therapist can write a supporting letter for your medical practitioner. It's very important for me to say here, having a mental health condition does not mean you cannot take hormones. Your therapist just has to let your doctor know that it's under control, it doesn't affect your ability to make decisions, and that you're receiving support, as there can be a lot of emotional changes with HRT. In the beginning, you might find that you struggle with regulating your emotions. They may feel all over the place. You might feel more angry, emotional, tired, or upset than usual. On the opposite side, some people find they are much more relaxed or calmer than ever before. It was the case for me. It differs from person to person, and your body is going through a lot, so it's important to just be kind to yourself. Your next step, if you are pursuing hormone therapy, would be to find a specialist GP or endocrinologist who is experienced in providing gender-affirming care to trans people. You can also go through your family GP if this would make you more comfortable. Have a discussion with them and find out if they're knowledgeable or willing to learn. 
If you need some resources, Genodynamics actually has a ton of information written specifically for healthcare practitioners looking to provide better care to their transgender patients. It's all available on their website. Before I tell you about my experience of starting hormones, let us have a look at what they are and the different options available. Medication I will split into two broad categories, hormone blockers and hormone replacement therapy. Hormone blockers, or just blockers, are a type of medication that can be used to halt the progression of puberty in young people. They can be especially helpful for transgender or gender diverse youth, but they've actually been in use for decades to treat precocious puberty. This is where a child begins puberty younger than they are ready for. They help youth who are transgender or questioning by sparing them the distress of going through a puberty that conflicts with their gender identity. Puberty is a challenging time for most children, but especially those who are struggling with their gender. The onset of physical changes that don't match your identity is distressing. Blockers allow you to hit the pause button. This gives a child more time to explore their options and decide if they want to transition or how they might go about it, rather than rushing into something. Hormone blockers are reversible and they are safe. There has been a lot of controversy around them as of late, but WPATH, or the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, supports their use for children who want to buy themselves time to prevent unwanted physical changes. If a child decides they do not need to transition, the blockers are stopped, and puberty will progress as normal. However, if they decide they want to transition, then the next step would be hormone therapy. They will most likely take the blockers until they reach the legal age to transition. This differs from country to country, most places it is 16 with parental consent and 18 without. Hormone replacement therapy, HRT, is sometimes referred to as gender-affirming therapy. It consists of taking hormones with the aim to help your body and appearance align with your identity. These fall into two categories, masculinizing and feminizing. Testosterone is taken by transgender men, non-binary, or gender non-conforming people aiming to have a more masculine appearance. When taken this way, it essentially puts a person through male puberty. This leads to a deeper voice, increased body hair, facial hair growth, body shape changes, and the stopping of periods amongst other things. Most changes are completed after two years, but the timeline and intensity of changes can differ from person to person. Testosterone can be taken in a few different forms, such as injections, patches, or gel. Tablets were available once too, but many places have banned them as they had negative side effects on your liver. For injections, there are two options. Slow release, for example, Nibido, which gets injected about every three months, or a more frequent option, normally injected every week to 10 days, depending on your dosage. This option can be injected two ways, subcutaneous, sub-Q, or intramuscular, IM. Sub-Q is injected into the layer of fat beneath the skin, normally on the stomach, thighs, or hips, similar to an insulin injection. IM, this is the more traditional way of doing it, involves injecting into the layer of muscle beneath your skin, most commonly on the upper thigh. Both can be self-injected. Gel is a daily commitment and not as widely available, which makes it a bit inconvenient, but it's a good option for people with a fear of needles. It also tends to be a more gradual change as it's a slow dose over a period of time, so it can be helpful for those struggling with their mood or mental health. 
patches are similar, but it's a stick-on plaster instead of a gel. Your healthcare provider will advise for the best option for you, based on your lifestyle, medication availability, etc. I personally went with the self-injection route as that was the easiest for me. I do a sub-Q injection weekly into my stomach. It doesn't hurt much, and being weekly makes it easier to remember. Estrogen is taken by transgender women, non-binary, or gender non-conforming people seeking to have a more feminine appearance. It is prescribed alongside anti-androgens. These are drugs that limit the effect of testosterone on the body. Estrogen can lead to body shape changes, thinning and slowed growth of body hair, and breast growth, amongst others. Estrogen can be taken orally, tablets, through patches, injections, or implants. The most common method, however, is tablets. Now from my experience with hormone therapy, this might be a bit of a long one. For me, I had my intake appointment with a specialist GP who had experience with trans people. We went through my history, I filled out some paperwork, and she explained the basic process to me. I then got a blood test form. This is the next step. You will need to have a set of bloods done to determine your baseline hormone levels, as well as a few other things they keep an eye on. For those pursuing testosterone, they normally check your cholesterol, liver function, and glucose. After you have these bloods done, you will meet up with your doctor again to discuss starting HRT. At this appointment, you can decide what method of hormone therapy you will go with, decide on a starting dosage, and get your script. The script may also include needles and syringes if you will be injecting. They will also most likely tell you to get another set of bloods done a month from starting. I then took my script to Discam, as they were the only ones that had stock at the time, and when I got my script, I was like, I'm starting this today. They gave me my vial and helped me sort out the right gauge of needle and size of syringe to use. When you are buying needles and syringes, splurge for the box of 100 if you can. It works out cheaper and it means you don't have to worry about running out for a long time. For the syringes, the smaller they are, the easier it can be to draw the correct dose. I prefer the 1ml syringes, but they don't always have them, so then I get the 3ml. The sister then asked me if I knew how to do my shots, and I didn't. So my first shot I got done at Discam at the clinic by, by the sister, and she did it slowly and explained everything really well. She also said that if I had any issues to just come back and they would help me, but I have been successfully able to do it at home ever since. In the beginning, it might be easier if someone else does it for you. My mom did my shots for the first few months till I got used to it. Now I do it myself. I promise it's not as scary as you think it is, the idea of it is worse. Hygiene is particularly important though when doing your own shots. If a sterile seal on a needle or syringe has been broken or you drop it or it touches something unclean, please just discard it and use another one, it's not worth the risk. And if you forget and miss a dose, you can just adjust your days to have the next dose later. But never compensate by increasing the dose. Don't change your dosage without consulting your doctor. Increasing it will not necessarily make the changes happen faster, but it can lead to adverse side effects. Something that a lot of trans people do is keep a record of changes, sometimes through a journal or photos, video logs, voice recording, or a mix. I did a video log when I first started. I also did a voice recording every month till about six months, I think. And then I took some progress photos as well. It can really help when it feels like the changes are happening too slowly. It can show you how far you've come, and in a couple of years, it'll just be interesting to look back on. As I said, you'll probably need to do a blood test about a month in, 
It's always a good idea to put a reminder on your calendar for when these things are due. Also check before doing a blood test if it's fasting or not. If it is, you cannot have anything after dinner the night before or in the morning before the test, only water. If possible, try and take it easy the day you get your blood test done. Between the potential fasting and the test, you might feel a bit tired and lightheaded. If you are nervous about getting your blood taken, most of the time they will let you bring someone in with you for support. Surgery, like hormone therapy, can fall into two categories, masculinizing and feminizing. To start, let us look at the masculinizing surgical interventions that are available. Surgical interventions are not something that every trans person will undergo, as they can both be invasive and extremely costly. Everyone's transition will look different. Some may choose to have one surgery, multiple surgeries, or none at all. With that out of the way, let us look at some of the options. For trans men, or those aiming for a more masculine appearance to better match their body with their gender identity, there are, broadly speaking, two categories of surgery. The first is what is commonly referred to as top surgery by those in the community. This is, in essence, a mastectomy, or the removal of breast tissue to create a flat chest. This is the most commonly sought out surgery for trans men and non-binary people. There are several different techniques depending on your body and your surgeon's preferences. The second category would be genital surgery, commonly known in the community as bottom surgery. Sometimes as part of bottom surgery or as a standalone procedure, a hysterectomy may also be done. Because of the sensitive nature of bottom surgery, I would prefer to talk about it in a separate episode where I can go into more detail. For trans women, or those aiming for a more feminine appearance, surgical intervention falls into the same two categories. The first being breast reconstruction or mammoplasty. The goal of this procedure is to create a more feminine looking chest by using implants or tissue expanders, amongst other techniques. The second category is bottom surgery or genital surgery which again, because of the sensitive nature, I prefer to cover in a separate episode. Some people also undergo a procedure known as facial feminization surgery, which is a type of plastic surgery intended to give someone a softer, more feminine looking face. There are some interventions which fall into the less invasive surgical category. For example, some trans men use liposuction to achieve a more masculine body shape. Trans women often use electrolysis or laser hair removal to reduce the visibility of facial and body hair. And that's all I have to say today. This is by no means an exhaustive description of everything, but I'm hoping that it is a basic overview and that you've learned something. Take care, be kind to yourselves, and realize you are so much more than you could ever know. Bye!